I, I am able to. Greetings, everyone. I'm Aziza, and welcome to Truth Be Bold, episode number 21. Do without wilt shall be the whole of the law. Those are the words of the highly influential occult, occultist Aleister Crowley. Whether people want to accept it or not, his influence can be seen in everything from pop culture to politics. With us today is a very special guest who has taken the time to study and research this obscure figure. Attorney, author, and researcher, William Ramsey. Mr. Ramsey is a graduate of UC Berkeley with a degree in history. Mr. Ramsey also has a Juris Doctorate and is a member of the State Bar of California. He has written several books and made documentaries on the occult and the New World Order. Mr. Ramsey is here with us today to discuss his book, Children of the Beast, Aleister Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity. Mr. Ramsey, welcome. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. Um, this is an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed your work you did on the West Memphis Three. So to have you here with, you know, a little rookie podcaster like me, it means a lot. So thank you, sir. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. So before we get into the book, can you please tell me how you got started on this path? Because the brief introduction I read about you, I mean, it, it doesn't match with the kind of research and the books that you've written. Could you go into that a little bit? Well, it, I would say if you want the long version, it goes all the way back to law school. I was in D.C. for three years, and that kind of changed my polarity. I stripped away a lot of my naivete about how things really operate and kind of see past the Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, theater. So that really led me to really want to read um, other things and really try to get a grasp on things, especially I didn't trust the corporate media. I still don't. And I, I really kind of kind of suddenly understood that I was being socially engineered. So that's really when it started. And then I was, I was curious about parapolitics. I was interested in the murder of John F. Kennedy. So I, I was definitely an independent reader, even while I was doing my studies. And so then 9-11 happened. And, you know, I was, uh, you know, after a couple of years, I said, there's something fishy about this story, too. And uh, so that led me to research really 9-11 during the research of 9-11. There's all this numerology. I was not, I was raised Catholic. I didn't know much about that stuff. So really it kind of piqued my curiosity. Like, how do these other people think like that? And what are these numbers? Do they have meaning? There was a corporal or uh, a guy in the military called Captain May. And he was doing a lot of transmissions at that time, kind of underground transmissions about this whole event and really the changes that took place in the world after 9-11. And he was talking about uh, just the preponderance of this number 11. So he keyed on to something, but <clears throat> that led me to kind of keep an eye out for what this numerology, the, not, the date of 9-11 and all these other things, these planes that were involved are 90, 90, it's 93, 77, 175, and 11. The first plane to hit the Twin Towers was 11. So uh, I didn't really know much about the occult, but it just led me to read and kind of try to perceive things. And I saw things in common culture. I would see these people wearing shirts that said 93. So then it, all that stuff led me back to Crowley. And so I was like, well, who's Crowley? I'd, re I'd grown up with kind of like modern music. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne has a song called Mr. Crowley. So I knew it, but I had a very topical kind of understanding. So I really wanted to go back and read the original material that he had. And I read a lot of his biographies, but a lot of them were biased. They were pro-Crowley, and there's a lot of people who think Crowley is a real liberator of humanity. I kind of was looking at it from a Christian perspective, so I really started reading his core documents. I read his biography. It's, it's called Confessions. It's very long, but it kind of gave me insight, but also kind of his magic and what he was really doing in these groups. And 
that led me to write my first book, Prophet of Evil, because I, I believe Crowley kind of shielded himself, but he was definitely a, uh, had a Luciferian ideology. And uh, I wanted to see what his ideology and the, his idea of the kind of a neo-feudal world was his ideal. And I thought a lot of that kind of tied into the events of 9-11 after 9-11. So you could kind of see this agenda being played out that would be called the New World Order. It's kind of a catchphrase among elites. So I really kind of wanted to understand how he tied into that. And a lot of people would have put those kind of different things together in one book, like how does Crowley 9-11 and the New World Order play in together? So I really tried to fuse that into people's minds. So that was my first book. And I was always kind of curious about his influence on the culture. And that's what led me to write Children of the Beast. While I was writing Children of the Beast, I came across the West Memphis Three case, which you know about. Wow. And I actually kind of sidetracked. I was like, what's this case? Why is Crowley involved in this case? Because I was looking at these videos and there's a video of Damien Eccles on in court and being questioned by the prosecutor about Aleister Crowley. And there's a copy of Crowley's kind of magnum opus, Magic and Theory and Practice, is right there on the case. And so I said, wow, this is incredible. So then all of those case files are available at Callahan. So I, was, I kind of put my legal hat on and really read and there was all these kind of in the public, you know, court of public opinion, he, these guys were railroaded and innocent. But if you really read the court files and what happens after they got out, which is in August 2011, I think it's pretty evident that they were involved in some really bad stuff and still are. Uh, Eccles himself is still a proponent of Crowley and posts about Crowley all the time. So then I came, that was Abomination. Then I wrote Children of the Beast. That was, I was pretty exhausting to write it. I have about 800 footnotes. And I really tried to do an overarching view of Crowley's influence culturally and politically. And that's really what, what led me to write that book. And I think there's a lot of people's knowledge of Crowley is not, they don't really know, didn't know and may not know his influence, particularly among the elites and the cultural figures and how many people reference Crowley. So that was really what I tried to do with Children of the Beast. So that's why I wrote that book. And then I've done the five documentaries that are on Vimeo, one about Children of the Beast, so it's a more visually oriented one, one about Prophet of Evil. I did two about what's known as the Smiley Face Killers phenomenon, and uh, and one on occult Hollywood, so that was kind of a, an insight into occultism, which has a lot of Crowley into it too. So really the Children of the Beast was really uh, just a, satisfying my curiosity in a lot of ways, because I wasn't aware of that. I don't come from one of these elite families or stuff like that, that Crowley would really want to target as people who would carry on his ideology. But uh, yeah, that's really the long version of it. Wow. So can you get into the connections that you found to kind of tie this together for people? Because like you said, people may have heard of him, but they don't really know, you know, the influence he had with <laughs> a lot of different things. I mean, it's really astonishing when you get into it. Yeah, well, I mean, he was born in 1875. He died in 1947 after World War II. He came from a wealthy family of brewers. They sold sandwiches in pubs all around the UK, so they were very wealthy. But he was born into a group called the Plymouth Brethren. So he was born into kind of a very, they're actually a subset of the Plymouth Brethren, titled the Exclusive Brethren. So they thought they were kind of an elite Christian group. He complained about some of the rigidity. His father died when he was 12. He inherited a massive amount of money, which would be like 20,000, 20 million pounds in, in these days, like an which he squandered over time. But he really gave, gave him the, the 
opportunity to really pursue his his interest, which were three things. It was occultism, mountain climbing, and poetry. So he thought of himself as like the world's great, greatest poet. He was born in close to Stratford-on-Avon, where Shakespeare was born. So he compared himself to Shakespeare at times. Uh, his poetry hasn't really lab, uh, is not really that popular anymore, but really he, he became interested. He became a part of this group called the Golden Dawn, which was a magical fraternity. It was a post-Masonic thing. So you go through Masonic masonry and then you enter into this other group. And that really kind of solidified his ideas. And then he started his own religion. His really key event in his life was in 1904, or said he was, he said he was contacted by entities. And there was all these demonic elements to Crowley, but it actually took place in Egypt. Uh, and he wrote a book called The Book of the Law. It was influenced by a lot of Nietzschean ideas, but also occultism. And that really became the centerpiece of his religion, supposedly from this being called Awaz, A-I-W-A-Z, which he later said was was Lucifer, you know, so he, he was kind of carrying on that tradition. But then he really tried to promote this idea. He started his religion called Thelema, which is a Greek word meaning will. So it was about the individual will, just like you started off this interview, do it thou will should be the whole of law. It's an 11 letter word phrase too. So he ties it into this kind of Kabbalistic <laughs> thing. So you'll see a lot of 11s. And 11 is mentioned in his book of the law. It says those of, uh, those of, those who, who are of us are of the number 11, I think is the, the phrase that's used in there. I don't remember. Uh, William, hold on one second. This is Taronda. You said the book of what now? Book of the law. The book of the law. Of the law. Okay. But it's actually an interesting reference because it goes back into masonry. When you're in masonry, you're sworn in on a book. They call it a book of the law. So whatever your sensibilities are, you put your hand on either Old Testament, New Testament, a Quran, if you're in, because there's a lot of Masons in the, in the uh, Arabic, no, in the Muslim world or anything. So, but his Crowley's Book of the Law was supposed is intended to be a, an, a replacement of all that, if that makes any sense. Mm. So, the Book of the Law, uh, it's a short book. You can download it online, uh, but it's there's some very nasty things. Like uh, he saw himself as creating a religion above all other world religions, so he insults Christ. Muhammad, all these other things, you know, I, I think he said, I'll peck out the eyes of Muhammad or something like that. Really, really nasty stuff, which, which was supposedly be from this one entity, uh, one aspect of this, this event, Book of the Law, was the entity Horus was dictating to him. So it happened over three days. And all the Thelemites or people who really worship Crowley and follow Crowley f have a feast today for the receipt of the Book of the Law. So under the subgroup of not, you don't know really how many Thelemites there really are, but they still celebrate that day. So anyway, Crowley's trying to create this religion. He tells other people, you know, in a hundred years, people will be basking in the light of Crowleyanity. So he's trying to, he actually creates this, based upon numerology, all of these rituals and things like that for his followers to do. So he adds that to it. And, so, but he's also very influential. So he's hanging out with usually only uh, elites like himself, somebody who never really had to work. He never really worked any, any time in his life. He just dedicated himself to occultism mm. and poetry and things like that. But I think really what he was really, what uh, people are attracted to him was his free license. So the total freedom, you believe in total freedom. So that includes drugs, sex, do whatever you want in your life. That's the way to act self-actualization, I think. Um, but a lot of his followers 
had terrible outcomes from their life. They either went insane or committed suicide. But I think that that was the attraction of Crowley through night. And there's strange connections between Crowley and Hitler too. A lot of his followers knew Hitler or people he knew knew Hitler. Um, and I include that in Children of the Beast. One is J.F.C. Fuller, who was one of two Englishmen invited to Hitler's 50th birthday par party or whatever you want to call it in Berlin. But this is a guy who wrote a book with Crowley, uh, read an ad admiring Crowley. He was also involved in the occult. But uh, so J.F.C. Fuller and other guys by the name of Virek who interviewed Hitler after he was friends with Crowley. Virek is V-I-E-R-E-C-K. But I think that that's really what attracted to a lot of these cultural figures that a lot of people know, like Timothy Leary or some of these other um, founder of the gay rights movement, was it? Was kind Can of, I ask you a question before yeah, we get into that? Sure. Because I, I had uh, Mr. David Livingstone on about a month and a half ago, and he said there's uh, evidence or reason to believe that Crowley was actually Hitler's handler. Yeah, well, no, I do. I mean, I couldn't find any proof of that. Crowley clearly had an intel, uh, British intelligence connection, and mm -hmm. he hints at that in his biography. So when he's in New York City during World War I, he's doing everything he can. One of the big objectives of Britain was to get the U.S. involved in the war, both World War I and II. So one of his objectives, too, was to um, kind of Subvert, subvert the German influence in New York and also try to get the U.S. in the war. He actually came to the U.S. in the Lusitania, which when, when it got sunk, that's really what brought the U.S. into the war, really kind of turned the tide in World War I in a lot of ways. But um, so he has definitely intelligence probably all the way back from when he graduated from Cambridge. So once he got out of Cambridge, he did this long tour of Russia like he, good kind girls, when all of this turmoil is happening in Russia, he's he's in the U.S. for World War One. He then ends up in Italy and his watches Mussolini. Literally, is in Rome and Mussolini has his black shirt push, putch or put whatever you want to call it, takeover of the government of Rome. So he's watching that. He eventually gets kicked out of Italy by Mussolini, like on personal orders of Mussolini. Ends up in France, gets kicked out of France. Then he ends up in a very special, interesting time in Germany, right? So right at the end of the Weimar Republic and Hitler's in power, Crowley's in Germany for like two or three years. So there is a tie over and some of his followers tried to, you know, were influential with Hitler or trying to get Hitler to read the book of the law. And so there is a tie, there's definitely a tie there. Uh, Dave Livingston might, may have a different kind of in, input, input there, but as far as the handler, and, the, and after the war, Crowley said something that is very blasphemous that ties into the New Testament. He says, before Hitler was, I am. And that's what mm. Christ said to the Sanhedrin when they were asking him questions. He said, Christ said, before Abraham, I am, right? I was. So he's, he's kind of, Christ is making this kind of spiritual statement about what he really is and Crowley kind of played off that with Hitler so I actually have said in other interviews that Hitler was a political Crowley so Crowley was the ideology but I would say Hitler is very similar in Crowley and outlook and all of his kind of political things and Crowley had political ideas so um, I think that there's definitely a lot of research I mean it gets even more strange because one of Crowley's kind of fellow occultists at the time if you want to get into really uh, esoteric stuff was a guy by the name of Austin Osmond Spare, who's a really interesting kind of occultist, uh, also an artist, but 
he was friends with Crowley and there's actually a correspondence. Crowley was always writing, corresponding with his friends and stuff. But there's correspondence between him and Spare and Hitler when he in the 30s asked Spare to come to Germany and do his portrait. And uh, that never materialized, but it's another kind of strange co uh, correlation, but also just shows the, the kind of underground occultism of Hitler himself, which is a bigger story, which I include in my book because there's also definitely some ideological overlap, significant ideological overlap between Hitler and Crowley, no doubt. Now, can you get back into, because you were just starting to talk about the uh, the leader or the founder of the, the gay rights movement. And, right. So, and so I think Crowley was really trying to be influential. His most influential kind of outpost was the Agape Lodge in Los Angeles, which... Uh, kind of gave birth to L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology, a whole new brand new religion as well. Kind of like Crowley, uh, Hubbard was uh, doing, you know, kind of came out of the Agape Lodge. The other guy who was at the Agape Lodge was a guy by the name of... Parsons? Parsons, Jack Parsons. Thank yeah. you. So Jack Whiteside's Parsons, but also... Um, so these two guys are very important, but yeah, so... That they used to have these kind of rituals in Hollywood, and the guy who played the organ for those rituals was Harry Hay, who was really the founder of the gay rights movement. He also had some kind of Crowley connection, so you can see this this cultural change. There's ties to it, and we I don't know if any researcher into Harry Hay has really done a thorough job to see how much Crowley's ideas influenced him, but he was there with had to have been there with Parsons, and possibly Hubbard. And uh, he described, Harry Hay described this, the roof, the kind of attic where these guys had rituals very well. The sex magic? Some of it may have been there. I don't know the, the totality, but they definitely did the Gnostic mass, which is kind of like the most uh, milk toast aspect of Crowley, like things that happened behind closed doors got very dark and evil. But the Gnostic mass includes the book of the law, which I talked about. It had... Um, candles and things like that. And he really actually lifted a lot of the imagery from Orthodox Christianity when he was in Russia, like I talked about earlier. So he included this. So it's supposed to be this ornate ritual with, uh, you know, people in gowns and, and stating things. But yeah, so the Gnostic Mass was probably what they did for the public. And that's how they drew people in. If they were interested in pursuing it forward, then they would go to the Jack Parsons place in Pasadena. And those rituals would get I think we'd get pretty dark. Pasadena, I didn't know that. So there's a lot of connections with uh, the, the what, the, the hippie culture in that area. <laughs> no doubt. I think so. I think a lot of that, you know, Crowley's influence came out of the, of the, the hippie ideal. Crowley said the birth of the child, which would be his kind of new era, would happen in the 60s. And then all these, there's definitely a subtext of the hippie movement that has a Crowley idea do what thou will, free love, drugs. And uh, Leary himself, Timothy Leary, who might be considered one of the, I think should accurately be considered one of the leaders of that movement, said he was flat out, said he was carrying on Crowley's tradition. And it's an interesting story close to where you are in Algeria. Crowley took this tour of Algeria with his sidekick and they did some really dark ritual at a place called Boussada. You can look it up. B-O-U-S-A-A-D-A. And so that's in North Africa. And they supposedly, Crowley says he raised some demon and they had, they did some ritual, they killed pit pigeons and stuff, but they were doing 
actually John D rituals using this board, um, which ties into Whiteside Parsons in the segment. So they, that took place. That's a significant aspect of Crowley's life. And he, the voice in the silence is one of his books that he considered very important about that time where he was doing these rituals, who was the court magician occultist for Queen Elizabeth and a very influential figure. So he saw himself as part of that tradition between John Dee and Kelly. And it was him and this kind of hapless sidekick that he had, uh, who he dressed up as kind of like a gremlin or something and, and traipsed him around Algeria. But the point is, is that Leary left the country. He was secreted out of the country, out of a jail here, and he ended up in Algeria. So what, what does Leary end up doing? He ends up taking a friend and ends up in Busada, just like Crowley. And, he, and it's in my, in my book, Children of the Beast, where he's saying, my life has kind of like weird synchronicities with Crowley. I feel like I'm carrying on his tradition. And he had Crowley's, I Ching sticks, which are kind of soothsaying sticks uh, from China. So he had Crowley's possessions. And, and Leary, there's an element of Leary that's a lot like Crowley. He did a lot of uh, work with, you know, tarot cards and things like that. So uh, Leary was a very important figure also about this drug culture, LSD and things like that. So it ties into the, all the culture of that, that 60s era that involved all these other musicians, Jimmy Page, the Beatles, um, the Doors, Ozzy Osbourne. So, yeah, so all these people that you hear their music of today, a lot of them have, uh, are, were knowledgeable about Crowley, no, no doubt. So what about the modern musicians? You've seen them pick that up too, quite a few notable people. Yes, no doubt. So, I mean, there's like rappers who reference Crowley, Jay-Z. Um, so there's a one guy who's just flat out like, uh, Crowley aficionado and he has do with that will tattooed on his back. His name is not Ja Rule. I can't remember it offhand, but um, yeah, there's, there's tons of people trying to carry on that, that occult tradition, no doubt. And you see that kind of uh, in their clothes they wear, they wear iconography with Crowley's face on it. And they don't seem to see the darker aspects of Crowley. Maybe they do. We just don't see it in the public. Or do you think I'm sorry, go ahead. I'll just say weird things happen in Hollywood, so I don't know. So for them, like, you know, like if they're following Crowley, what would be the benefit there? Of course, I know there's some benefits, but what would make a person be like, hey, let me check out this sick, demented person and see. (laughs) It's an excellent (laughs) question. What they have to say, what's going to be beneficial for me out of this? Money, power, sex, right? Earthly, garden of earthly desires, I think would be it. Because that's, I think that that's really where these guys stake their interests, especially people who follow Crowley is, how do I do these rituals or things like that to gain inspiration or fame or um, things like that. So I think that that's kind of a common attribute of the occult in general, whether you're a Wiccan, it's it's really worthly power, the exercise of worthy power. So say, for example, like, you know, you see people in that industry, the Hollywood industry, just in music, acting, and some, you'd be like, wow, they really made it, and they're really not good. <laughs> and there's some people who are actually, you know, they can maybe actually can sing, and they never make it. So you just kind of wonder, like, you know, is this the aspect of really, like, selling your soul? Because these people make it big, and, like, they're acting, they're singing, it's, like, horrific. And you're like, you got to be kidding me. Then they have people just pouring after them and 
you know, crawling after him. And it's like, it's like, it's mind boggling to me. And um, I'm just wondering, like, you know, and also the other person, the fans on the other end, I mean, are they into this and not even realizing how deep maybe their mind is being taken over? It's a great question. I mean, I think that they're like, if you talk about a glass ceiling that used to be for women or people of different ethnic minorities, but there may be an occult glass ceiling too, right? So if you're not in the squad, you don't end up going up. You're not part of it. And you hear of all these like rappers and stuff, they get brought into a back room and they say, this is the way it's going to work. And we're going to own you. You'll be rich and famous, but we'll promote you. And it happens for men and women. Like I can't remember the one rapper right now that uh, did it, but I mean, I remember his face, but Drake. So apparently that's what happened to Drake. If you know who Drake is. It's kind of yeah, I've seen him. Yeah. Yeah. So that guy supposedly went through some kind of homosexual sex ritual to like get power. So, I mean, you hear the I've stories. I've heard of that too. Kanye West is also an important, I mean, I, he may be a talented musician, but he definitely had occult connections. His, he's pictured with a guy by the name of Yodorowsky, who's in, lives in France, who flat out said he drinks human blood. And Kanye West is using all of his kind of symbology or a lot of it, kind of visual symbolism in his uh, tours before he kind of kind of reformed or repented and, and became much more of a Christian as he has now. But that guy's history was very dark, man. Very dark stuff. Can you touch on, because this has always been intriguing to me, the connections with Crowley and uh, Alfred Kinsey? Mm. That's a great question. So there's another one. So you've got this guy who writes sexuality and the human condition of females and males, very funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, which should tell you a lot. But uh, he was interested in Crowley's diaries. So he wanted to Crowley's diaries. So he meets up with another Crowley aficionado by the aficionado by the name of Kenneth Anger, who's actually still alive, believe it or not, in Hollywood, who has a lot and friends with Parsons, Parsons wife, Marjorie Cameron. But they go to where Crowley had his little commune before he got kicked out by Mussolini in the north of Sicily. And it was called the Abbey of Philema. So that's his religion. So an abbey, kind of like a religious order. So the abbey functioned and was only open for about three years. But they went there to kind of just check things out and see if they could find stuff. So there's pictures of Kinsey and Anger together at Crowley's Abbey of Philema in Chefley. And... uh, he, I think he had, uh, Kinsey did have success in obtaining Crowley's diaries. He was a collector of all kinds of uh, sexual literature. But the thing about Kinsey is what people found out when they did his research, they couldn't confirm his research. He would not allow people to see his so-called science. So a lot of the stuff he said has never been verified, but a lot of people considered it as fact. And uh, Even now. Even now, right. So they referenced Kinsey as the so-called liberator of the human spirit, they had this movie from Hollywood called Kinsey, and it's just a bunch of hogwash. It's baloney. And, uh, and Kinsey, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the stuff that he did, they should have put him in jail or a lunatic asylum. Like, he was really bad. I mean, you, know, you can read my book. It gets pretty graphically de- detailed, but there's a woman who's done a lot of excellent research on Kinsey. Her name is Judith Reisman. Who oh, really yes. Got, yeah. yeah. So she... Uh, it's probably the most knowledgeable about the kind of fallacies and the, and the kind of fraud that he committed, scientific fraud, scientistic fraud or scientism, where they put on the 
trappings of science, but nobody can ever go through and, and verify anything they said. So, but yeah, Kinsey definitely de definitely had a connection to Crowley, no question. And there's actually pictures and videos of Kinsey taking videos of anger together when he was younger. Um, so yeah, no, definitely Kinsey. But he also kind of a Kinsey was a charlatan. He was trained in like zoology or something like yeah. that, and he reformed himself into a sexologist, which never existed, but it was a bunch of, yeah, it's not meritorious. <laughs> the stuff he did, like there was, yeah, it's really graphic and horrible. He was a very bad, very evil person. And didn't he have some influence on modern family court as we know it? I think so. I think people referenced him as an authority uh, for a while. He was considered an authority or the authority, actually. I mean, those are pretty big books sexuality of the human male sexuality of the human female and uh i don't know how much influence he still has but definitely at one point was i mean he was he was uh you know world renowned yeah i've noticed he's been kind of buried like they yeah. won't come out and you know defame him but they kind of just <laughs> brush him under the rug no i agree with that I mean, it's probably the best thing to do. They, they don't really uh, approach the kind of horrors that he really did that involves pe kids who cannot consent. So uh, once people kind of read about that, I think they can realize that there's some real problems with Kinsey's work and material. He said all like, he, you know, he made um, pretty broad statements about people's sexual orientation and stuff that a lot of, turned out to not be fully legit, if I remember yeah. So what about OTO? Uh, when did when did that come into play for Crowley? So OTO is actually a German organization. It's the Ordo okay. Templi Orientis, so the Order of the Oriental Templars. They claim uh, to go all the way back to the Middle East, the magicians of the Middle East. So does the Mason, Masons actually through the Templars, which were this group that helped um, people on pilgrimage, crusaders and, and things like that to go to the Holy Land. They turned out to be the first international bankers in a lot of ways, but they supposedly brought back this ancient kind of Sumerian, Middle Eastern magic religion back to Europe. And OTO um, did that as well. And Crowley, what happened was Crowley was kind of writing about his magical research and somebody else came across it from the OTO and said, you're stealing our material because it was the same, but they had both independently kind of come into certain occult, you know, what would you call, they would call it an advance, but uh, anyway, that was a, there was a guy's name was Theodore Royce, R-E-U-S-S. -S. He made Crowley the OTO head of England, and eventually Crowley in 1925 became the head of that organization after some of them passed away. He actually went to Germany. There was a, some kind of meeting of OTO members, and Crowley became the head and kind of changed a lot of their rituals, added a lot of his stuff, the Book of the Law. But the OTO is still around today um, in different variations and forms and um, still has its repository. There's a book out there, The Secret Rituals of the OTO, which is available. But I think they ended up having 11 grades. So they actually borrow a lot of this kind of grade stuff, I think from the Golden Dawn, where you advance up the grades and become, you know, obtain different uh, levels and stuff like that. But and then you have, I think that Hubbard actually borrowed a lot of that as well. So he integrated some of those ideas into Scientology. But the OTO, I mean, they had heads. 
the 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 current head of the OTO. I don't know who it is now, but it used to be this guy Grady McMurtry, and they had all kinds of like fights in between themselves to see who was the caliph. They used terms from uh, Islam, uh, kind of mm-hmm. like the caliph head, but uh, yeah. So the OTO is still around. Wasn't um, was Michael Quina? Was he part of OTO? I think oh, he no. came out of the um, the was it uh, was a uh, Lavey was the guy. Aquino was his, was in Lavey's group, and okay, then he broke off and started the Temple of Set, and then he just passed okay. away. I think Aquino passed away within the last year. Okay. But it's interesting because one of his writing partners is this guy, Valeli. They wrote this manual, which you can find online, called Mind War. So it was about uh, psychological. It, the title of the book is From PsyOp to Mind War. So they, they, his, his advancement of the ideas of psychological operations of individuals was to don't do psychological ops. Just constantly attack people's mind. So you're constantly making, whether it's your own citizens or somebody on the future. And he wrote, we wrote it with this guy, Paul Valelli, who's still around. He's on TV all the time. He was just on Newsmax talking about the whole situation in the U S now, but uh, Valelli, it's incredible. He's like writing yeah. with the head of this very evil uh, organization, the temple of Seth. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah, know. So a lot of this is very current. It's much more current than you would think. Yeah. It's not, it's yeah. not past history. It's present. And that was Michael Quino's job in the army, wasn't it? It was psychological warfare. Like that was his program. (laughs) I would highly recommend if you get the chance, download from PSYOP to Mind War and just read through it because it was a paper that was done in the 80s and shows you way they're thinking, you know? They're thinking Mm -hmm. about using all kinds of technology to manipulate people and just horrible stuff. And I actually think that George Bush Jr., I don't have any proof, but I think that he integrated a lot of the ideas from Mind War into his administration for the eight years from 2000 to 2008. You can see kind of overlapping uh, use of that ideology, in my opinion, during that during that administration. What is your take on that rumor about Crowley being his uh, his grandfather or something like that? It's hard to prove, <laughs> but all the right. all the pieces fit. Like I don't have any proof, but I can tell that. I know that her mom, right, so Barbara Bush's mom was in, so all the rich people used to go to France, right, in the 20s and the 30s. That was kind of like the city of light. There was a big cultural movement there, and a lot of these wealthy people wanted to spend time, and her mom was one of the people who used to travel there. Her name is uh, Pauline Robinson, and she was from, her husband was wealthy, and her friend was Maureen O'Hara, who Harris was her husband, and Harris was good friends of Crowley. So when Crowley got kicked out of Italy, he went to France for the late 20s. And the rumor is, and all the, all the kind of numbers fit together, or dates, that she came back pregnant, and there, she looks like Crowley, uh, Barbara Bush. She has Crowley, has a kind of uh, larger head for his body. And he always kind of disguised it by wearing, you know, scarves and things like that. But he, he was a he just had that kind of body form, and so does she. And if you put them lined up next to each other, they look very similar. And then you kind of see her behavior. You see her husband's behavior in Skull and Bones. And you can tell they have the secret private library, so they probably 
I would suspect exposed to Crowley in one way or another, and then you can just line it up to 9-11, right? And mm -hmm. I show in Prophet of Evil, in my documentary, that one of, one of Bush's most important New World Order speeches was done on September 11th, 1990, right? So it, it's hard to conceptualize the potency of what these people are capable of, and they're fronts for the Rockefeller family. But that they had that number 11, September 11, 1990. You can look up the September 11, 1990 speech where he's talking about the New World Order. He talks about the bridge to the rainbow and all these uh, coded phrases. But then 11 years to the day after that, the whole event of the Twin Towers and 9-11 event took place. Who else has connections to Crowley or, you know, there's some kind of influence that we haven't touched on? Who does? Anybody? Oh, well, I mean, you can talk about uh, Damien Eccles. You can talk about some of these other characters, Marilyn Manson, mm -hmm. um, you know, the 9-11 mm -hmm. event. There are Alan Moore. So you kind of see Alan Moore, who's like one of the biggest comic book writers and tons of his uh, comic books have been made into films, whether it's The Watch. I don't know who that is. Oh, okay. Okay. So he uh, is a, he's like probably the most famous comic book or, or graphic novel writer in history, but all of, he has like, he, he included Crowley in one of his uh, books from hell, which is about the, the Jack the Ripper serial killings, mm. but they have it. His view was it was a Masonic inspired killing, which is much more believable than a random killer. Right. And um, they include, he includes Crowley there, but he has a lot of, he integrates occult ideas and things into his work. So he did From Hell, Watchmen, um, what's the one, V for Vendetta, you know, the movie V for Vendetta. Wow. So okay. he did V for Vendetta. That. So all those are, are Alan Moore. Yeah. So I'd say he's very influential, but also he said that half of his time he spends writing co comics and the other half he devotes to occultism. And he says he contacts entities and all this stuff. So he's right in line with a lot of these other other occultist magician types. What do you make of what Crowley supposedly conjured in Egypt? Right. Well, I wouldn't say that he conjured it. He said that he was contacted by some other oh, entity through okay. his wife at the time. Uh, her name was Kelly. Last name was Kelly. So he was supposedly contacted. He was instructed to set up this kind of ritual. And then he, he said that he was sitting at a desk in Egypt for three days and some being over his shoulder dictated. Three days, him. huh? Yeah, correct. <laughs> so three days, some being dictated over his shoulder, the book of the law. That's um, what he said. And, and that, this is the one that he had the drawing of, right? That looks like what we would- No, so that's totally in. different. So that okay, drawing okay. that looks like the gray alien- Mm -hmm. happened in new york city where he oh. was doing another ritual uh, it was called the ala mantra working so all of his magical things sometimes they took place over days so they didn't take place like you would assemble like something and do a ritual for two hours and be done so the ala mantra working took place in 1918 in manhattan uh, i think it was like right off of washington place and really the central part of manhattan and involved uh kind of known um people in the arts and involved all of his stuff that you, he would do in rituals. And at the end of that, he would do this thing where he would astral travel. So he would go, he would try to leave his body. And then when he come back, he would write these drawings. And so you'd see the drawings of the astral travel, but at the end of the Alamantra working, 
this being he called Lamb, L-A-M, but it's it's like a titular thing that comes from the the same kind of word as the Dalai Lama. So it's like Lamb mm -hmm. is like a Lama or a teacher. That being wow. came and he wrote it down, and that was the the really the first drawing of what we know as a gray alien. So you could say Crowley is the also the progenitor of the alien myth that goes through you know, uh, communion, these books, and all this other thing, the gray alien, the uh, first drawing was really crowly. Yeah, absolutely. And then that connects with, you know, uh, different religious ideas that these are not, in fact, aliens, but, you know. Right. Well, it's interesting you say that because some of the Crowley followers or people who are interested by Crowley, influenced by Crowley, are also in the UFO movement. So oh, you'll see there's that makes like... Sense. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. So you can go to... I think it was called Meeting in the Desert, where they're having these meetings to pose, supposedly see the aliens, the intergalactic beings. But some of these other people are, like Peter Lavenda is there. And this guy has written all kinds of crazy stuff about occultism, like the Necronomicon from Lovecraft and all these other uh, Hitler's occultism and all these other occult books. But here he is saying, oh, yeah, we're talking about aliens. But I think the, I think the occultists, the insiders, do know that these are not beings from another planet, that they're from wow. another dimension. That's mind-blowing because I've never thought about them actually knowing in the inner circles. I've always thought all these people, they're... <laughs> right, no, it's interesting. <laughs> totally because, right, no, they're. Tr I think that that's how they're trying to socially engineer the public or anybody to get used to these beings. It's much easier to say they're from somewhere other, other place in the galaxy or whatever than to say, hey, we're summoning them through rituals or whatever, which Crowley was doing. Like his rituals, almost always they're trying to contact entities and obtain knowledge. So you can have the Alamantra working, the Gerensis working, which happened in, in France. You can have the rituals that took place at his now burnt down uh, Bolskin Manor with the, the OTO was trying to raise funds to rebuild the OTO. Uh, that was... Um, the Abramelin working that he did over six months, supposedly, never got it completed. But they're always involving what we would call uh, demons. Wow. Because you mentioned the book Communion, and I don't, know, I don't remember the guy's name, but didn't he say that those were demons, right? I think he admitted it, but he also has, I can't remember the author's name, but uh, he's, he's the suspect, suspect character as well. And he also came from writing... He actually wrote fiction and then wrote this communion, which is actually supposedly categorized as nonfiction. So do you think that he was um, a tool of social engineering to kind of push these? Because that book is famous. Yes. No. So I would forward. say, I would, if you ask me my personal opinion, I would say yes. Okay. And there's, uh, there's an author that's done, there's an author that's done really good work on that. His name is Jason Horsley, who also was kind of an occultist. I don't know how much occultism he's into now. But I've interviewed him about that book, and I think the, the book is Prisoner of Infinity. And uh, he also has been to Morocco, actually, a Morocco uh, adventure. You might want to, he might be a good interview for you. Talk to him about uh, his books. He actually just came out with a book called 16 Maps of Hell about a, uh, all the kind of craziness that goes on in Hollywood. What's, what's his name, Jason? Horsley, H O R S L E Y. Okay. Thank you for that. Wow. Yeah. That's 
that's really a revelation for me with this, this UFO stuff. So then I have to ask you, um, do you think that there's a possibility for them to try to pull off a fake alien invasion? I, I, I would say, yeah. What was the Operation Blue Book or whatever, supposedly the term of that? But, and I think that these occultists have written about it. So if you look at Arthur Z. Clarke, Childhood's End, who was involved with Kubrick making 2001 A Space Odyssey with an 11-foot-tall monolith that's all in the news. I don't know if you've seen that in the news where these yeah. monoliths are showing up anywhere, yeah. everywhere. That monolith in 2001 A Space Odyssey is an occult construct. It's 11 feet tall, and its dimensions are 1, 9, and 3. So you see kind of Crowley's 93. The reason why Crowley had 93 is an important number is because in Gematria, the words Thelema and Agape, when you add the numerical value of each term in Greek, adds to 93. So 93 was very important to Crowley, which is what you see integrated in 9-11, right? Wow. Yeah, so, um, but I think the fake alien invasion is possible, but I mean, you're kind of seeing the, the, the pounding of the UFO phenomenon into the minds of the people is almost a fake alien invasion. It may not have the kind of uh, War of the Worlds element, right? Do you remember War of the Worlds? Where they freaked mm -hmm. people out and thought everybody was yeah. being invaded in 45. So it may not have that, but you have these guys um, talking about, like, have you heard from the To the Stars Academy? No. So To the Stars Academy is a, the guy from Blink-182. His name is Tom DeLong. And he started this whole thing that they, they turned it into kind of corporatized UFO research where they raised all this money and they're writing books about that. But Tom DeLong is there. Guess who is the ghostwriter for some of Tom DeLong's works? The yeah. guy I mentioned earlier in this conversation was Peter Lavenda, an occultist who's been seen in <laughs> rituals and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. But they're, they're pounding a lot of that information into a much younger, much naiver group of people now you know not people who are old, i'm over 50 so the people who are younger are eating all this stuff up about tom DeLong and these aliens and alien technology and some of these people are who are on there on his board have very suspicious uh military backgrounds that involve it's always the military <laughs> right so then you've got like you're back to social engineering psyop mind war uh social you know changing people's mind and shaping people's minds not not often not for the better To digress from that a little bit, what about Crowley's influence uh, on some of these serial murders or supposed well, serial murders? <laughs> well, that's another, that's a whole nother question. I mean, <laughs> according to the FBI and the landing report, there's no occult influences on crime. It's not the, the people. Right. So that's the FBI. So, but you can actually contradict that with a lot of crimes that have taken, like, uh, Richard Ramirez was a flat-out occultist. He was actually supposedly a member of the Church of Satan, and they covered all that up. Uh, so he was a member of LeVay's group or had some kind of association with that. But uh, there's tons of crimes. If you look at, like, my smiley face killers, I think that there's a lot of occultism involved in these, these crimes against young men where they're being abducted and uh, kind of disappeared. So uh, how Dollar, much... definitely. What's up? Dahmer, he Dahmer, right? To that. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, heard. That... 
No, sorry. No, no, continue. <laughs> and I was saying, because William, like, you know how we hear about these crimes and these people do stuff out of nowhere. Just, I mean, heinous, sick stuff, like just out of nowhere. You don't have a past or anything of doing any of these things. So you just kind of wonder when you hear, especially when they come, when they're killing, I'm starting to see a lot of things where children, like babies, you know, two, one years old are being killed, you know, by whoever. And it's just like no reasoning whatsoever. So I'm kind of wondering like, okay, is this now looking at um, some type of sacrifices that people are doing? Because I'm starting to see that a lot. You know, maybe they're just putting it out there in the news a lot, but I'm starting to see that a lot. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I think these things are happening. If you're kind of like read the news as much as I do, a lot of, there's a lot of occult crimes happening all over the world, whether it's in Brazil or Argentina. There's this guy, Yao of God, who was into all kinds of crazy stuff. Friends with Oprah. Oh, I was just about to say, yeah, yeah they no, covered that one up. up. Yeah, they covered <laughs> that up. There's a couple of really hardcore occult crime cases in Brazil where people get a hold of uh, manuals and start killing, like just brutalizing people. You can look mm-hmm. at uh, what the other guy's name was, Jesus Adolfo Constanza, who was the guy who was in Matamoros, Mexico. He was actually a Palo Mayumbe follower. So it was like Caribbean occultism. And I mean, the stuff he did was just off the charts, cutting people's spines out and stuff. So there's all kinds of occult-influenced crimes. There was another one. If you ever saw the, the show... A true detective that was based on a real case that happened in Louisiana where these guys were at a church and they they got involved in the occult were doing rituals with kids and all kinds of abuse and stuff really dark stuff so there is a kind of uh element of truth in that true detective if you ever mm. watch that which is pretty dark but there's much more I mean those are the things that come to light Crowley himself they say Crowley never advocated child sacrifice right I actually wrote uh, on my website, William Ramsey investigates about Crowley and child sacrifice because they can cut people who know Crowley can kind of deflect things in the public, but he references the ideal sacrifice as an eight year old boy in magic and theory and practice in Libra 66. If you want to look that up, he talks about sacrificing children on a, on an altar where it says the blood will cover the altar as wine. And then also he mentions it in the world's tragedy. He also includes a sequence of child sacrifice and it gets really dark. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, I, I think Crowley, in his in his one of his books, The Magical Writing of the B666, he talks about raping infants, two-year-old kids. So really dark. I mean, it can't get more. Uh, he's a truly evil person. Rot's an evil person. Sorry, I'm just processing that. Um, <laughs> I've heard. And, I mean, you can get into all the blood drinking. I mean, all these things are involving a lot of like, you know, bodily fluids and stuff, ingestion. I mean, the guy wasn't well. There's a decent, I mean, he wrote, I think in his diaries when he was older, like, I am clinically insane. Like he was writing, like, I think I'm insane. So that was actually what I was going to ask you. Do you think that he was crazy? Because I've heard apologists kind of divert from his works and his actions to say that he was crazy. Well, that's a good question. So there are two, right? Not a lot of the, the pro Crowley scholars would ignore that. They ignore the child sacrifice stuff. They ignore the sexual abuse stuff, but they also ignore whether he was insane. There are two writers you can look up who mentioned Crowley going to a sanitarium in Switzerland. One wow. is Henry Miller, who wrote Tropic of Cancer, 
was kind of with Crowley at the end of his life, around the 40s or something during World War II or before that, a little before that. And the other is a diarist by the name of Anais Nin, it's hard to remember, A-N-A-I-S. And she also wrote about Crowley like being in an insane asylum. So uh, yeah, so I think that um, he had this experience when he was younger, he writes about it in his bio biography where he blew up a bomb and was in a coma. So he, and his personality changed right around that time. So maybe that he had some brain injury and that may have changed his personality. I think that he definitely wasn't well, just wasn't a well person at all. But the, the weird thing is that he was very intelligent. He wrote that he was the master of the English prose, which I think that I would agree with. He was a very talented writer, never rewrote anything. Just, you know, the stuff kind of poured out of him. So it was just an unusual character. Hitler too was also in a mental institution. They never talked about that as well. He was thrown into There's a, a pattern. Yeah, he was thrown into a mental institution at the end of World War I. But nobody ever wants to talk about that as well. Like Hitler actually went blind from being at the front uh, at World War One on the I Western Front. Yeah, no, wow. I think uh, yeah, all those records were were destroyed. So you can't yeah. find the record, but they know people know that he was taken on a train and into a mental institution where the stress was so much from the shell shock that he went blind and he regained his sight. So he saw something. And, there's a totally different person before the war and after too. That's very interesting because like I said, there's a pattern. If you look back at all these different people, connections with the military, they had some kind of, kind of trauma in childhood or later in life. And then they pop up and, you know, they start doing weird things. So. Well, Hitler's, I mean, Hitler, people know he was in military intelligence and not at a high level, but he worked for military intelligence after world war one. So they know that he was, you know, kind of like a, like a gopher. So they put him into the German Workers' Party. And the head of the German Workers' Party was a member of the Thule Society. So you see that kind of confluence of intel, <laughs> occultism, and, you know, it just goes from there. But yeah, no, Hitler was in a mental institution. Wow. So what can we take away from this information, just like, you know, the average person? Well, you should be very leery if somebody comes to you and says Alistair Crowley is a really good guy and, and this is really the best walk for you through life. I mean, Crowley himself put himself in the league of the greatest religious figures in the world, right? So he thought of himself as up there with Muhammad, Jesus Christ, Socrates, um, the Buddha, and all these other people. So some people are going to be see different things, but if you want to follow Crowley, uh, you might end up insane, destroyed, uh, and go to a place where you lose your soul, man. Not good. Well, now I have oh, to ask you another question. Sure. Since you mentioned you can, you have a lot to lose if you, you know, follow this this ideology. What about celebrities? Because I think that a lot of them are just tools, obviously, they're just pushing this. So the masses are accustomed to it and accept it. Do you really think that some of them are actually like following this stuff? Or they're just like, you know, whatever you dress me in, whatever you need me to say, I'll say it. I think, I think there's a little bit of both. I think that's like, if you can see some of these uh, photographers are clearly oh, involved yeah. in crazy stuff. So if they get somebody in front of them, they're going to tell them to make all these occult gestures, put, make the sign of silence. This is like, like through Crowley which means you'll keep your mouth shut about everything. Um, you know, make all these weird 
things with their hands and stuff. And but I think some are on board. If you research Johnny Depp, it's oh, pretty yeah. dark. Yeah. So I mean, these guys, and he was in a movie called The Ninth Gate. With oh, I haven't his, heard of that. One. No, you probably. I would watch that with a lot of uh, critical viewpoint. But it's basically like if you had like a, a religious story about a Christian, like a Pilgrim's Progress, it's like that for Satanists. Wow. Um, and, yeah, no, it's incredible. So you see all of the the imagery of occultism, sign of silence, chessboard, which is a really often used, and that's in Harry Potter too, which is often used in occultism and stuff like that. You'll see all of this stuff in the Ninth Gate. It was directed by Roman Polanski. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, right, so there you go. <laughs> so now we're back to Charles Manson, uh, what his occultism is about. He was associated with the uh, Process Church of the Final Judgment, which yeah. is an offshoot of Scientology. So they took all the Scientology yeah. stuff. Anyway, so uh, I do think that some of the, I think that it, in Hollywood, at least up until now, I think a lot of people are kind of uh, disenthralled about Hollywood. So, yeah, but so. I do think that very recently, a lot of those people either were occultists or just they just adapted to it. Like, this is the culture I'm going to take on to be successful and get what I want in Hollywood. So let's just go, you know, I'm going to do it. And there's horrible things in Hollywood, just tons of pedophilia. All, yeah, just horrible abuse, children abused, just the most brutal stuff. I mean, really bad. So I do think some people are, yeah, they're involved, involved in the occult. And Hitler's there. I mean, uh, Crowley is there. They're... And, you know, that's who they admire. Drugs, sex, all that stuff. Romanticize a lot of that stuff. Wow. This has been truly amazing and very informative. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your time today. Um, sure. Tarana, did you have any other questions? <laughs> I have a whole lot of questions. <laughs> it's like, wow. And it's profound because you hear about these things, you know, all the time. But now you just see more the connection and especially in the entertainment business and just in general. And, you know, I understand why people think they want to, they, they flock to that because the simple fact is like you said, they want power, they want money, they want all these things. But, you know, like we were saying before, it could be the person next door. You never know who is involved in this. That's yeah. the scary yeah. part. It's a you cultage, know, it could be people right? that you're working right. with, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a culted. So their, their reality is a culted. And that's the whole thing. Like you could, I literally could take a college class about some of these figures and they never mention any of their occult connections. So you could take a yeah. thing about Leary and they'd mm -hmm. be whitewashed and he's a hero of the human spirit and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then you'd be like, these are, these are, these are choices that these people are making that, you know, are terrible. There's a lot of wreckage in the sixties. A lot of those people didn't come out the other side sane or well off after doing a lot of LSD. It was very dangerous. And a lot of the people who were, who were proponent, uh, proponents of that had direct CAA ties and all kinds of nasty stuff. So. And now when you probably heard the story of, what is his name, Robert Johnson? And this was an right. old one. Mm -hmm. And that was the, talking about the crossroads okay. and him like basically learning to play the guitar like overnight. And no, the thing was that he literally sold his soul to the devil. So you see that in some of these so-called great musicians that come out of nowhere. 
you know, so sometimes you just kind of wonder with that. And I know people will do it because, you know, people want money, they want fame, they want all that. So, you know, it's really scary. So right. they're connecting with, maybe they think it's aliens. Is that what it is? But to me, maybe they're actually demons. Yeah, I would say they're all <laughs> demons. And I think that Robert, you can go visit where the crossroads that Robert Johnson yeah. said that happened. I think it's in, mm-hmm. in Mississippi. Tennessee, yeah. In Mississippi. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. Mississippi. So Was it Mississippi? Yeah, yeah I it's think Mississippi. It's Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. South of Memphis. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, there, I mean, I think what was the other was a great violinist who sold his soul to be the greatest violinist in the 16th or 17th century. So no, yeah. soul, selling your soul for artistical, you know, talent isn't new. Or and then that interview that Bob Dylan did. I'm sure you've seen that. I think so. Yeah. I, re, tell me about it again. I forgot. He was, um, I forget the the journalist's name, but you know, he was asking Bob Dylan about his longevity. You know, he's been doing music, you know, for 60 years or whatever it is. And so he said that he uh, attributed his success to the the sacrifices that he had to make. I'm paraphrasing here. And, um, oh, Ed Harris. It was Ed Harris, I think, that interviewed him, something like that. And so he said, he asked him, who is, you know, who's your influence? You know, what kind of sacrifices? And he said, well, I can't really say, but uh, I answer to something higher than me. And the journalist said, oh, well, you know, can you tell us who it is? And he's like, no, he's the chief, the the captain, not of this world. And, you know, he had like this, this air of fear about him. Definitely wasn't talking about God. (laughs) Right. Well, have you heard like all these other codes rappers have or Jay-Z, they talk about the rain man or they talk about. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of other ones I was reading. You said there was it the Rain Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Rain it's Man. Eminem, I think. Yeah. yeah. Jay Z has the Rain Man. You know, basically, it's just another name for Satan. And he's been. Uh, there's a picture of him, uh, of him in a Masonic ritual. Have you ever seen that picture? Oh, he, I don't. He's think in I a Masonic have. meeting, a meeting, not in a ritual. Sorry. No, I know his. Uh... The, the man he founded uh, Rockefeller with, he's big into the occult. The guy that used to be a part of Def Jam. Yeah, that makes sense. Russell? No, no, uh, the white guy. He's, he's Jewish. Oh, you're talking oh, about... Oh, Lior, Lior something? I don't know his name. I know his name. His name is... Her- oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. <sighs> but, can I uh, share my screen? Let me see if I can share my screen. Yeah. Do you, you have think... to you have to give me the permission. Oh, so I'll show you this picture. Okay. Do you think there's any ties with uh, what we're currently witnessing now? Oh, I mean, <laughs> loaded question, right? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I, I've seen if you look at Biden do his speeches, he never says Jesus or God or anything. He says, "Come to the light," which is very Masonic. So I, I kind of put him in that kind of Masonic group. He's also made speeches about the New World Order. So is John Kerry. So people would think these guys on the left, the the elites in the Democratic Party are some kind of like men of the people. But that's just, I don't believe that at all. So I think Biden is, uh, I would put him kind of in the globalist forces where they're kind of trying to break down individual sovereignty. sovereignty, and always and try to create a neo-feudal state. And I think that's 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 terrible for any for any country. So, how much occultism involved? I mean, 
we can go back to 2016 with Podesta and pizza and all those weird symbolism. And they're talking about the Lima in one of his, one of his emails, Podesta's emails. And that's the chief of staff for the campaign for Hillary Clinton. So do you think that whole uh, situation was uh, valid or genuine, or do you think it was put there for people like us who recognize these things kind of as a diversion? I think that there was something there because those were from the actual um, emails. They never denied that. It's just like the Hunter's laptop. They didn't deny. Mm, they just ignored it. They ignored it. But they talked about Abramovich, who's like in these networks, right? She's in oh, these yeah. weird spirit cooking yeah. things. They yeah. talked about pig's blood and other human bodily mm. fluids and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I'm trying to see if I can share this. What about with uh, this pandemic? Do you do you see some occult symbolism with this pandemic? I mean, I think I think we're in a pretty dangerous age right now. But I do I I think every all of these crises they're always trying to push us towards global government. So which is also mm-hmm. scary. I mean, if you look at the UN, it's founded by the Rockefellers. It's in a it's in a huge obelisk type style building. Aaron, uh, isn't 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 that at the UN headquarters or am I thinking? Is what, of... uh, the, there's the the waiting room or the religious room or the prayer room at the UN with the black cube and uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of occult imagery there too. And the Rockefellers are just neck deep. If you go look at Rockefeller Center with Prometheus as a symbol of Satan, and Prometheus is gilded, so they have a gilded Prometheus. Rockefeller Center. It's incredible. And people just skate by it and it's featured in tons of films, but the insiders know what that means. So um, so I think that we're at a time where, you know, I would say the Old Testament, the biblical Bible, you know, predicted that people would be going to and fro around the earth, that there would be an increase in knowledge. And you're kind of seeing that all kind of come together. But I think that the big prize is always going to be global dominance. I mean, you always have in time, people who want to take over states or take over nations uh, for greed or power and money or whatever. And I think that that's going to be the big prizes. Who's, in a, one, who's that Alexander type who really wants to take over the world at any cost? So I think that that's where they're headed. I mean, I think from a Christian perspective, the, the final you know, battle will be the Antichrist, right? right. So I think that there's, I mean, go look at the Supreme Court of like Israel. It's fully Masonic. It's incredible. I can't seem to share this this picture of Jay Z. I don't know what I'm doing. And also, William, you know, a lot of us. Well, I mean, I would say in my family, we have a lot of Masons and Eastern Star. <laughs> I don't know if you have any in your family as well. No, wow, all Catholic. I come from a Catholic family. I'm a Presbyterian now, but um, okay, there wasn't really. I didn't really have that. I didn't really have that secret society. I'm, I didn't come from like that background where, you know, I didn't come from like an urban background or things like that where you'd have secret groups. But I used to, when I was in San Francisco, I used to walk by the Bohemian Club all the time. And uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was interesting. I've actually walked into the Bohemian Club and kind of looked around. I didn't really, this is 25 years ago, just to see what it was like. It's a big building. It's like five or six stories tall. And the Bohemian Grove is based off of the club that's in San Francisco. It's right by the Olympic okay. Club which is another kind of elite club in San Francisco. The Olympic Club owns a golf course, a very nice golf course. I think they had PGA tournaments there as well, but it's right by 
um, the Bohemian Club. But it's interesting because the film Good Shepherd, if you ever see the film Good Shepherd, it's about kind of uh, swollen bones. But at the very end of Good Shepherd, they have this sequence where the guys are sitting in leather chairs. They're sitting in leather chairs and talking and there's a fire. And it's directly taken out of the Bohemian Club in San Francisco. So, oh, wow. it, oh, no, it's off the charts. But you can see in that in that thing, you know, uh, the uh, Matt Damon character gets Damon care character gets tapped to join Skull and Bones, and uh, they show rituals in the tomb. They're showing all that stuff in there. So I think that really was their intent. I think that I think it was that film um, was intended to kind of show this inside world that's secret or occulted from uh, the rest of you know. These are people. This is George Bush Senior junior mm-hmm. all involved in that stuff secret libraries you don't i don't know what they've read but uh yeah it's really bad news yeah because i have i have several family members that are you know um that are masons and also um a, a lot of like older aunties and stuff that were east there were eastern stars so it's like you know as far as it's been prevalent in my family um you know, but just hearing about it, it's like, wow, do you still have that photo up that you were sharing with us? Well, I'm trying to. I, I keep hitting share screen. Hit oh, okay. the probe. I saw it for a minute. I saw it. Here. Then it went off. Okay. Oh, I, I see him. Are you seeing him In right New there? Jersey, I see him. Yeah. So he's second row. He's kind of looking out of the corner of his eye at the camera. But that's him. Second row, fourth from the left, fourth from the right. Do you see him there? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, there it is. That's a better picture. Can you see that better? Yep, right I sure there, can. So pretty sure that's him right there in the center. Second and those are the outfits and everything. Yep. Mike gloves, <laughs> aprons, all that. Yep. Stuff. Wow. Yeah, no, there's all the, they have. They have their own skull and bones. It's Boulet Society, probably. From mm-hmm, Boulay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah. No one wants to talk about the Boulet though, but <laughs> yeah, well, they should. Yeah. Well, I'll have to have you come back on and talk about uh, the entertainment industry. industry yes. Love to. Yeah. Yes. No problem. I just did a show on music with Chris Taylor of Don't Let Them Burn. He's done a lot of really good shows. He might be a good guest for you too. Chris Taylor, Jason Horsman. You guys are looking for guests to talk about this stuff. Great. Definitely. You said Chris Taylor? Chris Taylor, yeah. Don't Let Them Burn. His, his website's www. Don't let them burn no spaces.com. You can check out kind of what he's done. But it might be stuff you find really interesting. I think he's doing really stellar work on a variety. He's kind of laid out his broadcast into different sections. So he talks about Hollywood, the influence of comic culture, um, transhumanism. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Oh, wow. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Great to be with you. How's everything in how's everything in Morocco considering COVID? Um, I mean it's pretty much normal. normal. That's good. You know, <laughs> you know, whatever was normal before, if it was even normal. Um, other than, you know, the the masks and stuff, and people are kind of over it with the masks. So they're done. Interesting. Do you feel like it got hit very hard? No. no. I didn't even I, I don't know anyone who knows anyone who knows anyone. <laughs> Still. That's good. Good for you. That's great. <laughs> So, yeah, I have good memories. Tangier. I took the Marrakesh train. I love the food. The food in Morocco is outstanding. I love. What is it? Uh, what's that? What's the pigeon pie there called? So, oh, um, 
Why am I forgetting uh, this? Uh, Bastila. Bastilla, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite dishes. We do it with chicken here. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, can't really tell. It pigeons. used to be yeah. pigeons, in my understanding. So, yeah, you, you were at Tangier and where else? Well, I went to Fez, Tangier, oh, okay. Marrakesh. When I was really young, my parents took me to the Atlas Mountains. I remember being oh, wow. up there. Yeah, you used to be able to, your tours would take you up there and you could hunt for quartz yourself. So you would take a hammer and up in some kind of volcanic rock. I remember that, but that was 40 years ago. But uh, I went to Casablanca. I wanted to go where Jimi Hendrix used to go, which was on the beach. I forgot the name of that. But it was I think so. It was in southern, kind of the southern part of Morocco. Closer, closer in the Atlantic Ocean. But, oh, um, okay. I really liked it. Fez was really interesting. Marrakesh was great. But uh, I, I, I used to walk around. I never, it was uh, very safe. I mean, a lot of people get freaked out by it, but I was, I never had a problem there. People were very it's nice. Still, yeah. It's still, it's still really safe. I mean, relatively speaking, you know. I wasn't keyed into the poverty. I was just a, you know, college age journey person. But right. some of there's definitely some. I mean, there's tons of poverty in LA. Holy smokes, it's terrible. I've heard that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah I'd love to go back to Morocco. Love it. Well, you're welcome. I know. I gotta get on a flight. <laughs> yeah, we took the went from Algeciras, took the took the boat over from Rock of Gibraltar to Tangier, took the train. Yeah, it was great. That was Did you ever really go to Septa? Septa, I don't even know what that is. So it's uh, Spanish territory, but it's still in Morocco. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. I know yeah. yeah, It's C-U-E-T-A, right? Uh-huh. I spelled, yeah, I know, I remember that. No, I did not. No, we just, uh, what do we do? We, we, just, we just kind of walked around. We didn't really know what to do. We just stayed in Marrakesh when I was in, I had the Eurail pass. So you could just get on the Eurail and just travel all around Europe. And I think the Euro Pass worked for Northern Morocco. I don't remember if I paid it or not, but we just got down there. Everything was fairly reasonable, and uh, it's very easy to just go out and get some food to eat and just kind of look around. We didn't I think we were too young to like get rent a car and drive around and see things <laughs> or anything like that. So that was it. But uh, yeah, yeah we'll have to come definitely. back and have a new experience. Love to. So. Anytime. Love to. Hopefully, when this pandemic ends, I'll get on a plane. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch. Yeah, great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. All right, take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.